0: continuing our study tonight in the Psalms of Ascent. And somebody help me out. This is for extra trivia points. What psalm begins the Psalm of Ascent? 120. One twenty. That was a tie, so I can't give extra points to just one person. So, um, Very good. It's, it's Psalm 120, and it goes through Psalm 130. I heard it. 34. Look at that. See, people are paying attention. And Russell said you weren't. He did not say that. So we are, we are in Psalm 122 tonight. Uh, how many of you remember the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland? Wow, five people, great. Are uh, the rest of you just not paying attention yet or looking in your Bible? So in Alice in Wonderland, when Alice is in Wonderland, she's, she's, she's chasing after, after the rabbit, the white rabbit. Um, she gets lost, and she hears sounds from up in a tree. She hears singing. And all of a sudden, this well, first a smile appears, but then this whole cat Appears and she says, "Well, you're 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 a cat." He says, "A Cheshire cat." As he raises his eyebrows, he tips his eyebrows because they come off his head. So as as he is talking, as he's singing, at, at at one point, um, just because he's a Cheshire cat and he can do this, he stands on his head, like literally takes his head off and stands on it. And he goes, "Can you stand on your head?" Um, just being a silly Cheshire cat. And at the very end, when he's right before he disappears, what disappears first? His. His body, So it's just, for a while, it's just a head floating there, um, and then eventually he disappears completely. Uh, So it's quite the opposite of the headless horseman. We have the Cheshire cat that has a head without a body. Uh, And I think too many people can live a Cheshire cat life in regard to church, in regard to the Christianity. They profess belief in and, uh, and identify with the head, which is Christ, but then refuse to be associated with the body, which is the church. They say they, they love God, they love Christ, but not the church. They're like the Cheshire Cat, just, just the head. And you, you know these people, they're the ones that say, you know, I, I can be with God on my own. You know, I can, I, I can do that. You know, I don't need to be at church to worship God. We've heard these, these excuses, right? Um, we saw this quite frequently in COVID. And I'll mention that again in a, in a second. And we have, we have all probably heard, maybe firsthand, if not somebody else talking about someone who says, well, you know, I do, I, I love Jesus, but I just, I just can't stand the church. I just can't stand believers. You know, I can't, I can't stand the hypocrites in the church. Um, and even though I wouldn't say that to this person, that, this to that person, um, I would tell you if you ever go to find a church, well, don't go because you're just going to add to the hypocrites. Because there are no perfect churches. Um, I know that because I'm here, so this church cannot be perfect, and so are you. Um, but but there's there's I have a problem with with the, with the phrase when people say you know I, I love Christ but I can't stand the church. It's like telling me you know I, Peter I I admire you I esteem you but I can't stand your wife. We're going to have a problem. we are are not gonna get along too well if you can talk really nice about me, but say I cannot stand being around your wife. Um, No, that that doesn't jive, that that will not work. So the question is why why do so many people, professing believers, emphasis on professing because I can't verify the other, um, and they could be, but why do so many people not see it necessary to go to church? Or why do they distance themselves from the bride of Christ? I think there's a couple reasons. There's probably much more than what's on my list, but eventually we have to get to Psalm 1 to um, And I think that as we look at where we are in our society, in our society today, we see an extreme level of, su- of superficiality. Um, we live in a very superficial society. And I think our society is, is over-dependent on technology. But don't get me wrong. I'm, all, I'm a huge fan of technology. Um, I do most of my Bible study with my Bible open and my computer open and I write my notes and type them out and then print them out, so no, I, I'm all about technology. But I think our society can, can, can become overdependent on technology to the point where, where people are detached from each other. How many of you guys have gone to a restaurant and you're, you're sitting there eating with your family and you see across the room my a table another family of people that are eating there. Um, and every single person has a device in their hand. Every single one. The parents got their phones out, their iPhones out, the kids have a tablet or an iPad. And so they're sitting there as a family and no one's communicating. They're completely detached from each other. And sometimes that mentality will sneak into the church. Um, that idea of, well, I can, I can just do everything online and I can just be... So I think our society is over-dependent on technology. I think also our society is obsessed, uh, is obsessed with novelty. You know, we're all about the newest fad, or the newest style, or the, the newer car, or the newest way of thinking. You can't possibly think like that, that's antiquated. And yet in the church, we have timeless truths in scripture that never age out. And although the presentation may vary, the truths and the Biblical way of thinking will not change because it is rooted in God's character. And there are those who see the church as an antiquated form of thinking. So in a society that is obsessed with novelties, no, that's, no. I think another reason is that our society promotes individualism. It's it's all about you. You, know, you need a better life. You need a better car. You need a better spouse. You need, just name it. You know, if, you, if you watch TV, if you see any commercials, and I don't recommend doing either one of those necessarily. And be, care, be very discerning when you do both. Um, it's all about you and, and how you can improve your life. Who cares about the rest? And then when you come into the church, you hear the message of, if you want to be a true follower of Christ, you deny yourself. You take up your cross. You, you willingly lay down your life for other people. You consider others as superior to yourself. Quite the opposite. Our society is, is grossly consumeristic. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what we're all about in this society. Um, and not just here uh, in this country. Um, I think we sort of lead, um, lead the way in many sense, in a lot of sense but the whole way, our whole way of life is based on the premise that your life can be fulfilled by acquiring something in the future that you do not have in the present. And basically what they're saying is that you cannot possibly be happy with only what you have right now. You, you can't be. You, you have to have something else. You, you will be fulfilled if you have this later. And so when you look at all these and plus many more, all this invading superficiality starts to come and infiltrate into the church. And pretty soon a congregation becomes just an audience. And church is reduced to a product that can be packaged and sold. And with that kind of mentality, when an audience is no longer interested in what is being sold, they just find somewhere else to go. Or they find a different product. But, But David in Psalm 122 is the exact opposite. He he cannot get enough of church. He he goes nuts over the gathering of God's people together. So I hope you've had enough time to find Psalm 122. Um, Psalm 122 is the third psalm in the Songs of Ascent. Um, It is the first of four psalms that that are attributed to King David. The other ones are Psalm 124, 131, and 133. We'll get to those in future weeks. Um. And Charles Spurgeon said this about Psalm 122. He said, David wrote it for the people to sing at the time of their goings up to the holy feast at Jerusalem. It comes third in the series and appears to be suitable to be sung when the people had entered the gates and their feet stood within the city. Now, to reiterate what Pastor Russell said a few weeks ago, um, we do not know the exact nature or the reason behind writing all these songs of ascent. Uh, We are not given that specific knowledge. Um, so we don't know if it is talking about pilgrimages to the holy city. Um, but I think definitely looking at Psalm 122, it does appear that, that there is a motif of pilgrimage here. Um, and this is, this is my take on it. You don't have to believe me. Um, so Psalm 120 that Pastor Russell taught us two weeks ago speaks of being far off, being away from God's people, in distress, around ungodly people, longing to be close to the Lord. And Pastor David taught us last week in Psalm 121, picking picking up where Psalm 120 left off in some sense, in the middle of his distress, the the psalmist lifts up his eyes and says, God, where does my help come from? And he realizes it is the Lord who helps and protects me along the journey. And then Psalm 122, the psalmist finally arrives at the house of the Lord. He steps his feet inside of Jerusalem. And he praises God for the joy of being with the body of believers, the followers of God, God's people. And before we jump into the psalm, let me give you one word of caution. Uh, there is a, a heretical doctrine called replacement theology. Anyone know what replacement theology is? It basically says that the church replaces Israel. So adherence to this theology, this doctrine, say that that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people, and that all the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament can now be applied directly to the church in the New Testament, and that God is no longer going to have Israel in his plan for the future. Um, There's a slight problem with that, more than slight. The Bible doesn't teach that. And the New Testament teaches quite the opposite. The New Testament teaches very clearly that the church is distinct from Israel and that God's promises to Israel, his plan for Israel, will be fulfilled. Because on the contrary, if they are not, that makes God a liar. And woe to you if you claim that God is a liar. God does have a plan for Israel. He has not given up on his chosen people. And as you read the New Testament, we can see what that plan is. And yes, today there are, although a minority, there are Jews who come to faith in Christ as their Messiah, their Lord, their Savior. Um, And they are part of the church. It does not make the church a replacement for Israel. And so as we read Psalm 122, the these, these specific application, the specific reference is to Jerusalem. And although there, although there are spiritual principles and applications that we can apply for us today, um, the church does not replace Israel. And sometimes those who teach that will be very subtle in their way of teaching. They will not say the church has replaced Israel. It will be very subtle in taking promises made specifically to Israel in a specific context and claim them for us today. Be very discerning. Um, it, is, it is enriching to study the Old Testament. Please do not think that you, can, that you can know the whole counsel of God's word by just reading the New Testament. But as we read the Old Testament and as we study the Psalms, um, remember these are, there are specific promises made to a specific, specific people in a context where, yes, God did promise them a land and a possession. God does not promise the church a land. Uh, There are promises for us. So as we read this, just just remember that. That was free. Let's go to Psalm 122. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So there are three elements of this psalm that I want us to look at this evening. And the first is, is David's passion, his passion in the first couple of verses. Look at verse one again. It says, I was glad, some verses say, I rejoiced with those who said to me or with, When they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And in David's passion, first, I see his passion for people. I think primarily I see David's passion for people. He's not saying that he was, his his joyful feelings in verse 1 were not primarily about the journey to go to the house of the Lord. We'll get there in a second. It was about the people that told the psalmist, come on, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's time. Let's go. He was rejoicing because he was passionate about people. It was the fact that he was going to be with like-minded believers in God, going together to worship God, to give thanks to the Lord. And implicit in his, in this, in his invitation to go together to the house of the Lord is that fellowship shared along the journey. I mean, can you imagine, we don't do this today, um, how many people live in LA? Just me? Come on, Lehigh Acres, where are you guys? Lehigh Acres, it's L.A. <laughs> We're out in L.A. It sounds more sophisticated if we say L.A. Um, but can you imagine maybe on a Sunday morning just rallying up some neighbors, hey, let's go to the house of the Lord, and we start walking from, you know, from, from Lehigh up Colonial It's just as a, as a whole group, as a whole throng of people. That'd be pretty cool. We get some weird stairs. Um, um, but that's sort of the idea, is let's gather a group of people. They're so excited to go together to the house of the Lord. I remember when I was going to Bible school in, in Argentina, uh, they had asked me one year to start a children's Sunday school class in a, in a neighbor, in, it was a local Pueblito, a small town in, in, in Argentina. Um, they had, it was a decent sized church, but they didn't know, I, I don't know what happened with the previous person who was doing their, their children's ministry, but they didn't have a children's Sunday school, so they asked me if I would come. And, uh, so every weekend, I, you know, I would study during the weekend. on the weekends, I would go, um, and I would help do this just Sunday school. Um, at least in that area, most people did not have vehicles. Um, so on Sunday morning, what I would do is that I would go with another uh, person from that church and we would just go from door to door where we knew there were kids and we would invite them to come to the Sunday school. Um, so we would start with the, the house that was furthest away from the church, uh, uh, I have no clue how far away it was because we walked and we didn't measure anything, but it was, it was a long walk. So we started there, and then we would just keep on picking up kids, and so by the time we got close to the church, we had like 50 kids walking together, um, and it, it, was, it was the coolest thing because as you're walking, this, you get more and more excitement. The kids get excited. Hey, we're going to Sunday school. This is going to be awesome. We're having a fun time. Um, there was, a, there was a, uh, one point where one of the church members had an a, a old-fashioned horse and buggy, so some Sundays we would have a horse and a buggy and can pile the kids on that too. And but it was, it was the joy just together walking toward the church. It was, it was the fellowship shared in, in knowing why we're going. We're going to worship God. We're going to learn the Bible. We're going to sing songs about Him. Um, and that joy was contagious. I think that's part of what David is saying. He said, I was glad. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When was the last time you invited somebody to come with you to church? I'm not looking for an answer out loud because I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, But think about it. Do you rejoice in coming with somebody to church? Are you passionate about people? Is, Is letting them know that there is a place where they can come to worship God, to give thanks to him, to study his word, to be in fellowship together, is that a part of your everyday life? when you speak with somebody new, is part of what you naturally ask them. Hey, do you have a church family? Do you go to church somewhere? When's the last time you invited them to church? Man, David was thrilled about it. So he was passionate about people, but he was also passionate about the place. Not only about people, but he was passionate about the place. He said, let us go where? To the house of the Lord. Um, he said, up to the place where, where God dwells, where God has chosen to set his abode, his dwelling place. So this is this, is, this is the house of the Lord So in David's time What was this? was this? Was this the temple? This means yes, this means no Or you can say yes or no No it was not, good Some of you know your Bibles pretty, pretty well Who built the temple, David? Solomon. Solomon So in David's time we had the what? We had the tabernacle it was, it was, so, We know that David took the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem That's in 2 Samuel chapter 6 I mean he built a tent there we don't know if, it's, if, if, if it was the exact same kind of tabernacle as in the wilderness, but yes, the house of the Lord was in Jerusalem. Um, David referred to that, to, to that place as that. Also Moses in Exodus 23 referred to the tabernacle as the house of the Lord. Joshua in Joshua 6.24 referred to the tabernacle as the house of the Lord. And even Samuel, he's, as he's writing twice, um, he talks about the tabernacle as the house of the Lord. Um, there are some Bible scholars who say That this psalm was not written by David It could not have been because the house of the Lord did not exist The temple wasn't built Which the temple was not built, that is correct But the house of the Lord was in Jerusalem David referred to that back in 2 Samuel So did Moses and so did Josh, uh, Joshua And so did Samuel So yes, David did write this Because that's what the Bible says um, Among other reasons but, So he, then he says Our feet have been standing within your gates O Jerusalem so we're gonna imagine this is a pilgrimage, which we don't know for exa- if it is or not, but we're gonna imagine this for today. So verse one starts out with joy. They're excited, said, I have rejoiced, I have, I was so glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So all along this, this journey, we're getting closer and closer. And then finally in verse two, there's, there's a sense of fulfillment, of, of contentment, of, of all Say, at our feet, <laughs> we're, we're here. We're, we're, we're standing inside your gates, O oh Jerusalem. We, we made it. We have rejoiced together in the journey, but now we are finally here. There's, there's a sense of awe that we're in God's house. This is it, we're, we're, we're here. I remember, um, let's see, how old is Jordania? She just turned nine, so probably about 11 years ago, uh, when we went to Peru, my wife is from Peru, so my in-laws are there. and. Um, when we went 11 years ago, we've been back since then, but uh, we had the privilege of going to Machu Picchu. Anybody know what Machu Picchu is? Anybody been there? A Couple people? Yeah, cool, three of us, I like it. Um, so Machu Picchu is in the, mountains, the Andes Mountains up in, in Cusco in, in, in Peru. And it is the, one of the centers of the old Incan Empire in the mid-1400s. Um, it is the Incan Empire, they call it Tahuantinsuyo, that's what they called their own empire, and it stretched from the southern parts of, not the southern parts of Chile, but south all into Chile. Uh, it went into Bolivia and Peru and Ecuador. Um, and it, it was the dominant power in that region for a while. Uh, so as, as you're going, you get on a little uh, combi, which would be in English, a, it's pretty much like a, a taxi van. I have no clue what you call it in English. Um, a big taxi. But you go in that into a town called Ollantaytambo and from there you get on a train that takes you to Agua Calientes which is at the base of the mountain, uh, Montaña Fichu. Uh, and then early in the morning you get on the bus to go all the way up to the top of the, sort of the top of the mountain. Um, and then you wait in your fun line because it's a, now a touristy place. But then you go around the bend and as you go around the certain part of the bend it just everything opens up and you see these ancient ruins. Um, you've seen pictures about them, of them and you've heard stories about them but then you're there for yourself and you just, there's just that, that sense of I'm I'm here, you know, and if and if you can think about what it would have been like in 1450 to actually be there, um, and it's it's almost overwhelming. But you can say I, I I'm actually here. We we made it. We traveled this far. We 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 finally got that. Will I go back? I don't know. But I, I I'm here, and it's that it's oh, it's that excitement. And that's what David felt. And that's what, as he's writing, maybe he's writing thinking of future generations of those who were going go to go to Jerusalem at least three times a year, the, the, the men of, of Israel. But he says, we, our, our feet, they're here, we, they, they have been standing within your gates of Jerusalem. There's an excitement about being in God's house. Are you excited about coming to church? Yes. I hope so. Sometimes there's people here that, if they are excited, their face is not showing it. Um, just, just being honest um, you know David rejoiced at the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord he was thrilled at it so like David our hearts I believe should fully anticipate coming to church coming to God's house you know, we, we are taught in scripture we, we are commanded to not forsake the assembling ourselves together. Remember what it says in Hebrews 10.25? It says, But not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we are commanded to not forsake the assembly, the gathering together. But we should not need a commandment. I mean, there's something special about a Sunday. There's there's something special about coming to church. There's something special about being reunited with brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowshipping together, worshipping together, studying God's word together. If that doesn't excite you, man, you need to check your heart. I mean, check, check your heart. So what, why are you coming? Don't stop coming, but check your heart and ask why. Too, way too often, we allow our lives and our children's lives to get too crowded with activities to where there's just not time for church. Or it's such a sacrifice to have to go to church again. Oh. How, how dare we try to schedule God into our busy lives. Whereas we need to schedule our lives around what God is doing. And the book of what God is doing through his scripture is through his church. Today it's through his church. And that, that's, what, that's what David's passion was. Steve Lawson said this about this, about this verse. He says, eager joy should always fill hearts of God's people as they make their way into God's house. In the company of like-minded worshipers, their hungry souls are satisfied as they sit under the exposition of scripture. Word-inspired worship is never a drudgery, but a delight. Never a burden, but a blessing. And I pray that we get excited about every opportunity for corporate worship. I pray that 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 is the case in your life. So we see Paul's, pa- uh, Paul, we're not talking about Colossians, that's, that's coming up in a few weeks. David's, David's passion um, in verses 1 and 2. And then we see David's praise in verses 3 through 5. And here we're, he's praising God for, for the role Jerusalem plays in God's economy. So verses 3 through 5 say, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So first, I, and I, see, I see David praising God for Jerusalem's security, for, his, for its security. Uh, in some verses, no, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so verse 3, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Um, some translations might say compact together or solidly joined together. And this speaks of its security. It was not—it was not the same little village of the Jebusites when when the, two, the the tribes of Israel conquered it on that same mountain. It was now a, a city, a close-knit group of houses and buildings with secure walls. There were no gaps, no breaches in the walls so where enemies could come in. People, when they when they passed through the gates, they felt safe. And in some sense. That's what a church is for believers today. Once again, we're we're not comparing, we're not replacing the church with Israel. That's why I said that word of caution at the beginning. Um, But it is a wonderful picture of the local church, of Christ's bride. You see, Christ loves his bride. He he married her. He has become one flesh with her. And there's a future fulfillment of that um, in years to come, in the millennium. But now he... He cherishes her. He cleanses her. He bestows extravagant blessings and gifts upon her. He keeps her. He protects her. We are safe in God's hands. We are secure in Him. And then we as believers, we have the joy of of praying over one another, praying with one another, interceding for one another, building one another up as we together do not allow a foothold for the enemy to come in. We do not allow for gaps in the, in the, in the walls between us. We, when, when there is sin among the body of Christ, we confront that sin in love as brothers do to brothers. And we, we, we seek reconciliation, and we pray for each other, we intercede for each other, we build each other up. There's security because we are secure in Christ, and there is, and there is that, that sense of security when together as the body of Christ, we do life together. So David praises God for its security. He also praises God for its unity. We see this in the first part of verse 4. It says, To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. You see, unity was never meant to be uniformity. Uh, uniformity was, is when everything is always the same. Uh, there is no... Even with, with, with the tribes. So how many tribes were there? Twelve. Good, that was a, that was a quick answer. Congratulations. Uh, were all the twelve tribes of Israel exactly the same? Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, they, they had their specific characteristics. They, they functioned independently of each other most of the time. But when they traveled up to Jerusalem, when they came together at least three times a year, and we'll get to that in a second, They were unified. They did not come simply as 12 different families of tribes. They didn't, they they came as one nation, as one people, as brothers and sisters in God's family. Their ties were deeper than simply blood ties or convenience ties. They came because what are they? They They're the tribes of the Lord. So they came to Jerusalem not to just hang out with each other, but they came because they were united in Christ. Once again, what a neat picture of what God is doing today in the church. Our church families are quite distinct, one from another. We live in distinct settings. There's different flavors to different lifestyles of ours. There are many things that are different about all of our families. And yet, in Christ, we are one. There is, there is a, a unity. Uh, we gather in unity whenever we come together in the body of Christ. Not uniformity. Um, you know how boring the world would be if everyone was like me? It would be horrible. My wife wouldn't even like that. Um, one of me is enough for her. <laughs> uh, so we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. Celebrating differences... While, no, while realizing that we have a common bond, we are of a common blood because the blood of Christ is what unites us. Uh, and even Paul tells us that in Galatians 3.28. He says, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He also says in Philippians 2.2, 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then once again in Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The spirit of unity is so important in the body of Christ. And that's why we must take care to not allow a spirit of division, a spirit of contention, of jealousies, of envying um, to sneak in among us. What the enemy would most want is to divide the body of Christ, to make us ineffective, to ruin our testimony of of God's grace and and the unity that we find in Jesus Christ. A good example of, of unity in diversity is our Spanish life group. McGregor en Español, for those of you that want, McGregor.net slash Spanish, do you want to know more about us? Um, what other kind of plug can I give? But in, in, in our class, we have people from several different countries. Uh, we have people from, got to think of a map, from, from Argentina, uh, Peru, Ecuador, Venezuela. Um, we had a family from Colombia that just moved to, to a different, different area. We have people from the, the Republic of Dominicana, from Puerto Rico, Cuba, um, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, good old U.S. of A. That's me. And others, I'm not the only one. in um, all of these countries have their distinct quirks, their distinct traditions. Um, there are some of them very distinct accents. Um, some of them have distinct words that you don't repeat in other countries because you learn, hey, that word in this country means this, but don't you dare say that in that country because it's offensive. So there's all these different, different, different ways of, of worshipping, different, different styles, different family life structures. So very, very unique and very separate in some senses. But as we come together on a Sunday morning, um, you can't tell that we're not one big family. I mean, there, there is a unity that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we seek unity, we learn how to lay aside our own preferences, our own differences, for the good of the body, for the edification of the body of Christ. How many? How many here have had the privilege of going on some kind of mission trip? Good. I'm glad. Several of you. If not, I would encourage you consider where God can use you in the future on a mission trip. If you're a member here, McGregor, it is a fantastic way to be blessed by the Lord as you bless others. Um, as you share your testimony, share of God's grace. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but those of you who have gone on a mission trip, um, if you have gone somewhere where they speak something other than English, uh, for example, well, I, I, don't, I don't count kind of speak Spanish, so it doesn't, but, so the most recent mission trip that I was able to lead was to Cuba. Uh, we were going there for several years before COVID hit and sort of closed that door for a while at least. Uh, but as you go into this church and you don't know these people uh, they definitely don't know you and especially when even though you speak Spanish when you look like me you're just weird tall gringo that's just walking in Um, and so you're sitting there in their church uh, and by the time you leave you can't tell that this is not your family I mean you don't know them you're trying to learn some people's names they have weird names if you speak English because it's just just weird Uh, sometimes not always Often. And so there's, there's so many things that are different, but yet in Christ, you walk away saying, I was just, I was just with family. I, was, I, I didn't understand everything. I had a translator, and I understood some things that are trans. but I, I was with family. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's what the blood of Christ does. It unites us. Oh, that we would be a church that is known for being united in Christ that we would not allow petty differences to get in the way of our communion with the Lord and with each other. One of the reasons, don't ask me to prioritize them, uh, but one of the reasons why I love coming to church is to spend time in fellowship with believers. I'm not saying it's the most important thing, um, but it, it is one of the highlights of my Sundays and Wednesday nights. It's the unity in Christ. David saw that in Jerusalem, and he praised the Lord for this is the tribes are different, but they come and they're, and they're unified. He also praises God for the purpose, for its purpose, its security, its unity, and now its purpose. The middle of verse 4. After he says, To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. So one of the purposes is that it was, it, was, it was a decree, some verses say, or as a testimony for Israel. But it was, it was a decree for Israel, for all the men of Israel, to go up at least three times to Jerusalem. Um, and you can read this later if you want, in Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 17, or Deuteronomy 16, 16. But all the men of Jerusalem had to go up, all the men of Israel, all the Israelite men, had to go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, um, where they also celebrated the unleavened bread and the barley harvest. They had to go up for the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after that, hence the Penta, uh, for the first fruits and the wheat harvest, and they had to go up for the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. That was part of the fruit harvest. But three times they, they had to go up. That it, was, it was a decree for Israel. All the tribes, all the men of the tribes had to go up three times at least to Jerusalem for these festivals. then we see the purpose. Why why is David saying they had to go up? Why was it saying it was a decree for Israel? Look at how it ends in verse 4. As was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The reason why they went, the reason why they were told to go up, at least in part, was to give thanks, to worship God there. Israel's religious center was Jerusalem. And David, in part, is praising God for, for Jerusalem being Israel's religious center. He, he expresses a God-focused thanks for what Jerusalem stood for. So the purpose of them going was, was to give thanks. It was to give thanks for them to the name of the Lord. They, they came to worship the Lord. So, so what David is saying is that God has appointed Jerusalem as a place where priest would minister and the people would come to worship. And David is praising God for, for having a pointed place, having a pointed place where the priest would minister to the, to the children of Israel and they could worship God together. So when I was reading this, my question for myself is, how often um, do I come to church with the attitude of giving thanks and I hope it's often if you ask that same question for yourself I hope that one of the things that we do as we gather together in worship is give thanks to God for who he is, for his character, for what he has done I pray that we're not like, uh, as Charles Spurgeon said about many people, he said Christians are prone to write their complaints in marble and their blessings in sand how often we forget what God has done for us But let us not be a church that forgets. Let us not be a church that that neglects to praise Him for who He is in the first place and then for what He has done in our lives. So David says that Jerusalem is the place of uh, the religious center, but it's also the political center. Look how verse 5 says It says, There in Jerusalem, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So not only does David celebrate the fact that God appointed Jerusalem as a place where priests would minister and that people would worship, uh, but he also praises God for appointing Jerusalem as a place where kings would reign and where people would gather for justice and for judgment. Not as in discipline, but as, as a king or would give out judgment. So when he talks about thrones, it's a it's symbolic of the rule of law, of the establishment and the administration of justice. I I think it's interesting that David, as he's writing this, talks about the thrones of the house of David. I don't know, is he being too self-conscious about this? uh, I think what what he he is talking about is that as God has revealed to David and through the prophets that God has a purpose to fulfill through David's line, he, already knew, he knows that he's not going to build a temple, but his son Solomon is. And God has already promised to bless David. He has promised that, that the scepter will not leave the house of David. That there will be a king reigning. And guess what? God is not a liar. God is going to fulfill that in Israel. There will come a time, and this is not the place to talk about that, even though it's a really cool topic, where God is going to fulfill every single promise that he gave Israel in the Old Testament not one of them will be left unfilled because God is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy because it's rooted in the character of God. And if anything in here is not fulfilled, it means that God's character is not trustworthy. If God is not trustworthy, then he's not God at all. But David here praises God for establishing Jerusalem as a place where now both priests and kings, the two offices united in Jerusalem, Is there for the blessing of God's people. So more than than praising God for, I don't know, the rich history of Jerusalem, for beautiful architecture of Jerusalem, for maybe they had really lush gardens in Jerusalem. I'm just making that part up, I don't know. Uh, More than any of that, David is praising God for choosing Jerusalem to have a part in his plan of redemption for, for the people. once again, far be it from a replacement but today God has also chosen the church to be part of his redemptive plan it is through the church through Christ's bride that the gospel is shared with the nations it is through you and me as members of of Christ's church that disciples are made that the word is taught that God is worshipped his name is glorified we can praise God as well for what he is doing in, in the church as David praised God for what he was doing with Jerusalem. And then the last four, four verses, verses six through nine, um, we saw David's passion. In The first couple of verses, David's praise in verses three through five, and now David's petition, his petition. In the first two verses, we see his call to pray. Uh, some... Some headings in some in, for, in some Bibles for the psalm says pray for the prayer for Jerusalem, and they get it from these verses. So David says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. So first in, in David's call to pray, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now the, in the word Jerusalem, the core of that word is is shalem, which means. Uh, completeness or, or wholeness. Uh, the Greek word shalom means, is translated into what? Shalom, peace. And, and that has the same root in, in being complete or whole because the, really there is no peace if there's not a completeness or a wholeness. Um, and he's talking about, uh, where, I lost myself, there we go. Uh, they, one, one of the things that David is, I that David's not necessarily talking about, but this, this, but the word Jerusalem, the word, the first part of the word Jerusalem is, is jeru, or jiru, and that means they will see, or they will feel the awe. And it's, not to make too much of what a word is, um, but I think David gets it, and that's part of what David's talking about in the psalm, is that when they're in Jerusalem, they will feel the awe of, of the wholeness of God's plan. This is, this is God's people. This is what, is what God is doing. And David calls everyone to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because this is the place where, as, as God even said in Zechariah 8.3, Thus says, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And David said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is where God has established his throne, his, his residence. He says, pray. And then as, as we see what, he's, what, he's, what his desire is, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then it's almost as if he, he says, he's, he's talking to his audience, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and then he talks to Jerusalem as if it were a person. He says, may, uh, may they be secure who love you. When he's saying "Who love you," he's talking to Jerusalem. May those who love Jerusalem be secure. Some of your Bibles might say "may prosper." Uh, so David's praying for peace and security, for peace and prosperity. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means in a second. And verse six is interesting, at least in Hebrew, because it's it's alliterated. Uh, at least in part, uh, in Hebrew. The word peace, the word pray and peace in Jerusalem and secure, be secure. Um, and the sort of word plays with the word, uh, with the word, the Greek word Jerusalem, which is Jerusalem. Uh, um, the word pray is Sha'al. The word peace is Shalom. I can't even say this in English. And the word for prosper, secure, is, is Shalah. So it's Sha'al, Shalom, Yerushalayim, shala, And as David is, is, is saying this, it's almost like an alliteration as he's talking, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May you be secure those who love, those who love him. So, so what, what is peace when talks about pray for the Shalom of Jerusalem? What is peace? Absence of conflict? <laughs> Yeah, it goes back to that wholeness. It's not only the absence of conflict, because if it were, then no one's going to have peace ever—not even Jerusalem—at least until the Lord comes back. Uh, it is not—it is, it is not necessarily the absence of conflict, but it is that the idea of completeness, of wholeness, of even—even—even even, even of health, of security, of of oneness, uh, of not lacking anything. And David is calling all people to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Even go down in verse seven, peace be within your walls and security, some versions say prosperity, within your towers. And that word prosper or to be secure is more than just a financial abundance. It is a sense of of being at rest, being at ease. This word is found also in Job 3.26 where Job is saying, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. That first phrase, at ease, is the same word. I am not at ease. There is, there is not rest for me. But David was saying, may there be rest, ease, a sense of security for Jerusalem. And he says, not only for Jerusalem, but we saw this in verse, in verse six, but for you, you who love Jerusalem. He said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they, who love you, who love Jerusalem, be secure. This aligns with the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there is those who love Abraham, Israel, will see a blessing from God. David is praying the same prayer. May those who love Jerusalem be blessed, have peace be secure. Quite quite the opposite. We're going to get to Psalm 129 in a few weeks. Uh, Psalm 129 5 says the opposite. It says may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. So here David's saying the opposite. Those Those who love God's people, those who love the center of what God is doing, he's saying may you be blessed. And David's prayer is that is that they would have peace, peace with God, peace in their own consciences, peace in the face of death, in what lies ahead. Peace in the midst of storms and tempests, not ironically like this week. Um, David is praying that may those who love Jerusalem be characterized by peace that comes from being connected and aligned with what God is doing. We can say the same thing about that today. How often do you pray for this church? Not just for needs of people in your life group, and I I hope you do that, don't stop. But how often, or when was the last time you prayed for this church? And and you prayed as, it, it was David's desire that all people pray for Jerusalem because that is where God centered his his workings in the world, is where God decided to dwell, where the worship of God was celebrated, where the testimony of Israel was set forth, where a place, a city, where there was so much importance and so much influence on, on its surrounding areas. And same way with the church. When is the last time you and I have prayed for the church? Pray that God would use this church and pray that there would be peace, there would be unity, that we would be secured in him, that we would have an influence on our communities and on the world at large. I think I am often guilty of not praying enough for the church, as I should. I don't think that. I know I am. I am often very good at praying for for people in my life that I know are suffering or hurting or going through difficult times. I pray that God gives me a a sense of always praying, giving thanks. But how often do I pray that God would would use his body, this church, for his glory? And my prayer is that we would pray that this church would not be divided by schisms or heresies, that as members we would have right attitudes and actions towards one another. That there would not be jealousies and contentions and divisions among us. But that we would treat each other with kindness, with respect, with self-sacrificial love. You know, every time we gather for a member meeting, we we promise we're gonna do that to each other. Do you remember that? This is what the fifth paragraph in our church covenant says. It says, By God's grace, we will diligently keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. And we will not forsake the regular assembling of of ourselves together with this body. We will walk together in Christian love, watch over one another as siblings in God's family, and remember one another in prayer. We will speak in a way that is edifying, serve in a way that provides tangible care, and listen in a way that is slow to take offense open to correction, and ready for reconciliation. May that be our prayer. May that be what defines us as a body of Christ in Southwest Florida. David calls us to pray. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for this church as well. But then he gives a couple reasons to pray, and with this we will wrap up. Why is David praying for the peace in Jerusalem? Why is he calling on all people to join him in praying for that peace? praying for that security. Well, he tells us quite clearly right here in verse 8 and 9. There's two reasons. First, is because of his love for God's people. Because of his love for God's people, he says, verse 8, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. Once again, the "you" is Jerusalem. He said, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. So David is praying for the peace in Jerusalem, for the good of, for the sake of, his heirs like brothers, friends from neighboring nations or different villages. Why? In part because they dwell there, they live there, or at the very least, they come there together to worship the Lord. So he prays for peace for the good of others. But then also, I think even companions could be talking about because they're unconverted and they need Jerusalem to be there, to God use Jerusalem to give them a hope of salvation if there is one for them. What about us today? Do we pray that God would use this church to strengthen, to challenge, to exhort, and to edify our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we praying that God will use this church as a way for our friends, family members, and others around us to be saved? That God would use this church to send out the light of the gospel into the surrounding communities. Are we praying that God would do that? Does your prayer life reflect a love for God's people? I guess that's my question. In the way that you pray, because yes, God can hear you, but um, as you hear yourself pray, does it reflect a love for God's people? Are you praying not only for yourself, but are you praying, God, I pray that that you would bless McGregor Or if you go somewhere else, bless that church. I pray that you would bless your church, Christ's bride. Because I want the body of Christ to grow. I want people's spiritual lives to be strengthened. I want my brothers and sisters to be edified and to be encouraged. God, there are people that need to know you and that don't yet. And I pray that you would use your church to bring salvation. Because apart from you, there is no salvation. Father, use your church to impact the people around me. And God, I get that I'm probably a part of that. So God, use me as part of your church to strengthen, encourage, exhort, challenge, edify, and to share, to witness. David prayed for the peace of Jerusalem for the sake of its brothers and companions because he loved God's people, but also because he loved God's glory. So it came out of a love for God's people and then also out of a love for God's glory. Look what the last verse says, verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good, the good of Jerusalem. He says, for my brother and companion's sake, I will say, peace be within you, but also for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. David says, I am committed to praying for the peace in Jerusalem because I want to see God's glory. And and I think even David, more importantly, he wants others to see God's glory through Jerusalem. See, David David set up the house of the Lord as a tabernacle or some kind of tabernacle in Jerusalem. But you know that his heart ached to have a permanent house built for God. The Bible even tells us that, that he desired, he longed. He said, how is it that I am dwelling in a palace, in in a house, and yet the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent? He longed for, God, for God's house, the house of the Lord, to be in a place that would draw people's attention and worship to the one true living God. So, so David's desire and his prayer for the peace in Jerusalem was because he loved God's glory and his desire that God would continue to use Jerusalem as a, as a lighthouse from which, from where the house of the Lord would send out God's glory and that people around would see it. They'd be drawn in. They'd be amazed. They would come to find out what is different about these people. What is different about this place? And then coming there would see the house of the Lord and be converted and would worship God for who he is. So once again, do I pray for God's glory here in this church? Do I pray for this church that through the proclamation of his word and through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that comes out of a filling of the Holy Spirit, and through the testimony of believers who have been saved and have experienced God's grace and salvation, that through, these, through what God does through his church, do I pray that he will be glorified? Do I pray that, that in Fort Myers, that in Lee County, that people would see something weird and odd about McGregor Baptist Church, and that as they are coming to see what is going on there, that they will see God's glory, they would call their attention. They would come and they would see God for who he is. And realize that this is what they need. That they need this kind of hope. This purpose. This life that is found in Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would be dedicated to pray that God's glory would be put on display through McGur Baptist Church. As David writes the psalm, he's ecstatic about meeting together. He is thrilled at every opportunity for corporate worship. May that be something people hear from our mouths. I can't wait. Man, Saturday was fun, but man, Sunday's coming. I'm so excited. Tomorrow's Sunday. This is great. Man, Wednesday night. Where are you guys Wednesday nights? You're missing out on what God is doing. Come on, let's go. Be contagious with your enthusiasm about coming together for corporate worship. Are you praying for peace? Not absence of conflict, but that through the peace that comes through our unity in the Holy Spirit, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be a church that does not let petty differences and contention reign, but that we would put aside our own preferences and build each other up as a church. And may we be praying. May we be found faithful in our prayers that God would use his church to edify the body, to build up, to challenge, to edify brothers and sisters in Christ and use us as his witness of the amazing grace and salvation that was found in Jesus Christ. Don't think for a minute that God cannot change Lee County with the gospel. Don't buy into the lie that well, this country's too far gone. I'm sorry. Show me. Show me where it says that. Here, you can use my Bible. Show me. It doesn't. God has called us to be faithful. We are ambassadors. We are called to think biblically as we do tonight and to live missionally on mission. May we be found faithful in our excitement and rejoicing this church in our prayer for it for God's glory.